Facebook. I got a text yes. message here that we should uh, read and discuss. This was in relation to the uh, the rats. The rats. I hope no, it's about no, the no. Rat. It's oh, not the oh, rats. Not I'm the rat. So sorry. Oh. I wish. I wish that is a uh, cool rat. Yeah, it is. It is probably the only good rat to ever. And and him and his team. The only good rats to ever yeah, exist. Yeah, to do so them. All yeah. right. Okay. So this text message, it reads, this is about actually the story that I shared about, you know, Pakistan and uh, Christian persecution. It says, throughout history, true Christians have been persecuted. This is nothing new um, in Islamic countries. The time is coming when the same thing will happen around the world to all Christians who keep the Ten Commandments, especially the Seventh-day Sabbath. Worship laws are being implemented already in many countries. Soon America will be forced, will force the whole world to keep Sunday as the day of rest contrary to the commandments of God. Are you ready? Are we warning the world? God is watching. It's really interesting that you say that, Lawson, because embedded in the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. is a, a, a commandment which is related to blasphemy, which mm-hmm. is, you know, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, thy Lord in vain. You mm. shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Mm. And um, so it's interesting because in some ways, you know, what this this um, uh, text message is telling us is, is really true. But at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, it's really close to, to home. And, and what it's saying is that, mm. you know, you can, uh, you can have blasphemy laws which are completely immoral, like what we see in, mm. in Pakistan um, but you can also have some laws which we need to abide by, and, and that's related. So that's the the third commandment. But then mm. it's, it connects with our, uh, you know, the fourth commandment as well. Mm. So you can have laws which which um, force people to keep one day um, as a day of worship and rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's not the biblical Sabbath day, that that is biblically wrong. Yes, but then there's another commandment, the true commandment, which is the fourth commandment, um, which is something we should abide by. So, so it requires a lot of um, a lot of discernment, yes. a lot of understanding. Mm. You know what I mean? Discernment, um, yeah. Because ultimately, and and what we've seen through history is is that <laughs> Christianity has been the the cause of much violence. Yes, you know we're seeing something in, in happening in Islamic countries that you could almost argue is modeled off historic Christianity. Yes. Honestly. Like, mm. honestly, like you read books like The Great Controversy and you read about people who are standing up for the true faith yes. and were persecuted by other Christians. Like, mm. you read that stuff. and In you, the name of God. In the name of God. You know, probably one of the most, oh, the the day where all the Waldensians died in the mm. 1600s. I, I forget, there's a specific, I think they call it, it's like a something Monday, mm. but, uh, you know, in April, uh, I think it's 1622, probably one of the most horrific massacres that has ever occurred happened where it wasn't just massacre. It was rape, pillaging, torture, uh, barbar- barbarianism, even, uh, what's, what's the word for ca- cannibalism? Like one, really? of, one of the sing- like, so is this in Spain? Was this, no, this was in the Waldensi. In the Waldensian. So yeah, this yeah. is kind of Italy, kind of France. Yeah, in the Alps kind of, there, yeah, yep, in the Italian yep, Alps. Got you. Yep. Um, you know, they, these people were a group of, like, true, like, Sabbath-keeping Christians who were mm. who were being consistently persecuted by the, um, by the church at the time, the Roman Catholic mm. Church. They had authoritative power at the time over the nations. They were being consistently persecuted, and, and they were trying to force them to come down, essentially, from the mountains and mm. to submit. 
and they weren't doing so. They were like, no, we are going to worship God in truth and in spirit up in our mm. mountains. And so they sent a numbers of, of legions of armies up there, but they found that, you know, uh, they were just defending themselves, the Waldensians, and it would cost about 150 soldiers for every one Waldensian soldiers. Wow. Because these Waldensians, they were mountain mans. They had basically a natural fortress that was keeping them. And uh, they were just, you know, fighting these guys off. Anyway, their ultimate solution, the the, the Catholic Church, they decided, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to infiltrate. So they rock up and they're like, hey, we don't want to fight. We just want to live with you guys. We want to get to know you guys. We want to, you know, settle our differences and whatnot. And the Waldensians, being kind-hearted people, are like, yeah, okay, like we would love to do so as well. Um, of course, that resulted in on that fateful morning in, in April uh, 1622 where the, the signal was given and 5,000 soldiers went on to kill 23,000 Waldensians and ultimately, like, they, yeah, were slaughtered and cannibalized and tortured and it's just the one of the worst things ever and ultimately in the name of God for... But, you know, at the same time, you got to say that, oh, there was a lot of political power. That this, You know, this was definitely a politically motivated um, religious persecution. But it just goes to show, like, yes, religion, church and state. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. But Lawson, I just want to follow up from that because, you know, mm. you talk about pillage and rape and cannibalism and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the prospect of that happening in the future can be a bit challenging to, yes. to people. Mm. So, so you know, uh, that can engender a lot of fear. How can we find hope and peace um, in the midst of, of these things which are happening around the world mm. in Pakistan and, and yeah. possibly even in Western countries yeah. like Australia and New Zealand? You know, one of my favourite songs, one of my favourite songs to sing is... Um, there's a song called uh, Side by Side. Uh, it's a, like a beautiful song that we sing at church. You know, side by side we stand, um, obeying God's commands, like mm. epic. And there's a line in that and it says, um, heaven is our goal and saving every soul. Mm. And I believe if we, like, firstly, you know, have a relationship with Jesus, but and when we do so, if we make that intention um to align our goals with his goals, which is truly like, and as we're going to read today, as we've been studying the covenants, heaven is our goal and saving every soul. Like if we have that in mind, I believe that the persecution that comes upon us becomes immaterial pretty much. It, 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 it like, yes, it, it affects us, but you know, I read other powerful stories about Christian persecution, specifically like one of my favorites. Uh, there's, you know, there's a story of Paul where he gives mm. uh, his testimony in second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. He's like, I've been beat by my countrymen. I've been lost at sea. I've been whipped. I've been tortured. I have received every form of punishment, but I continue be- for the sake of Christ. Like, for the cause of Christ, like, nothing is more important. And I know that I have a home in heaven waiting for me. Like, God is there for me. But also, like, one of my favorites in, in uh, if we bring it out, outside of biblical times to the, the, the 1600s, I believe, you know, Jero- the story of Jerome and Huss. Um, John Huss gives his life for the faith. And Jerome, as a colleague of his who's also standing up to Christian persecution, he he recants and denies denies the truth that he had been sharing with the world um, to escape persecution. But then he ultimately realized, like, this is wrong. 
Like, God has called me to this. This is his mission, and I am disrespecting my brothers who have died for this by doing so. And he ultimately, he reinstates his position, and he goes, you know, he goes to the grave with it. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he dies at the hands of the um, oppressive church-state uh, power that existed at the time. And it just goes to show me, like, even in, in, in Jerome's case, where he, recant- he recanted, like God is always striving with us. He is always graceful. He's always merciful. And he was then able to then hold that position again. So I, th- I, I just feel like whenever we take a stand for God, it's, th- there is persecution that will come. And we see that in varying degrees, particularly in Australia today. Like we are seeing the pressure turned up little by little. But, um, you know, if we're always just coming back to God, even when we fall, like he will be with us and we have our goals aligned with him. He will respect that. And from, you know, Jerome and Huss's death, we, we are feeling the effects of that today uh, of being able to worship freely and worship God, you know, the God of the Bible for who he is. You know, there's another really good story recently. Um, Richard Vermbrand from Romania. Oh, yes. You know, dude. his book, mm. Tortured, uh, Tortured for, for Christ. Christ. Yeah. Really amazing. But a quick snippet, you know, he, he, he was in prison. He was literally being persecuted. Um, mm. But he, he got to the point where he said he actually, um, his love for his captors actually grew. And he would he would share with these these guards, and he would say to them, you know, um, Christ loves you, and um, you know, you I see that you will become a Christian, and literally, um, these these um, guards would become followers of Jesus, and and that's that's an amazing thing to to know that you could actually be in a situation where you might be persecuted, you could look in the eyes of of someone else, and, and you can know that hey, I I can love them in Christ. Um, because of who they could become, and and uh, no matter what they're doing to me, that that is an amazing, amazing thought. Man, oh, we we don't really have the time, but there is just a whole like topic we could open up and talk about there as to how to correctly respond to persecution. Um, yes. Because what we see when it's successfully done, uh, in the case of Richard, Richard Wormbrand and and all of these like historic you know, persecuted martyrs for the faith is that, no, they didn't stoop down to retaliating, to fighting back and, you know, like physically. Um, no, they just like stood for their faith. They received their penalty and ultimately their persecutors had a change of heart. You see that in the book of Daniel, even Absolutely. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, throwing these three guys into the fire and then they walk out and, and Nebuchadnezzar falls to his face and he says, you know, if anyone says anything about uh, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, like the, he, this is the God. Like, and yes. he then, you know, he, he, he stumbles along the way, but he goes on to uh, ultimately have, you know, a change of heart. Yeah. Um, all right. We should get into our Bible study today. Absolutely. The topic this week is this, the, the new covenant sanctuary. Oh, I love and, this. Topic. And we are going to just jump straight to Hebrews chapter nine. Uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter nine because I feel like this gives us some, some context and some reason as to why we're, we're getting into all of this. Hebrews chapter nine. And I believe we're going to read verses 14 and 15. 15, let me turn that. I'm really slow at getting through the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Let's see. Hebrews chapter 9, maybe starting at verse 11 to verse 15, that whole passage. Sounds good. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, 
He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if by the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Mm. Oh, there's a lot there. I honestly, I think that you could probably write a thousand and one books on just this passage. Like just the, what, uh, 11 to 15, the the four or five verses that we've read there. Like Mm. this is, there are many things that Paul writes that are dense, but man, I read this. I'm like, this is one of the most theologically packed passages, just really laying out the history of salvation itself, how the plan affected the people and how Christ fulfills it in every way, in such Mm. a short, succinct, uh, concise way. Uh, But what this highlights to us and what we're seeing throughout this week is how Christ fulfills the sanctuary service. And why that's important, and we're going to read some verses about it, is because the sanctuary service was very much a representation of the covenant to the people that they could see day in, day out. I like to think of the the sanctuary, the Old, the Old Testament sanctuary, the, the, the wilderness sanctuary, as, mm. a, as a kind of little model. Yes. You know, like, like a little drama, mm. um, charade, as we might, might say, you know, to actually act out what Jesus was going mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this, you know, like any kind of model, you know, for those of you who are interested in model planes or model ships or yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. Um, you know, it's just a, a small representation that, that points towards the, 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 the reality of of the salvation that we have in Christ. Oh, that's a, that's a really, really cool um, illustration there. I remember like when I was 10 years old, uh, dad got me, you can buy like a model like an engine, like a car engine, oh. and you put it together and then you can wind the handle and you see the pistons going, going up, up and, and down, down. Yes. the the, uh, the cam chain moving and opening the, the valves at certain times and whatnot. And you can see, like, it's not a literal engine. There's no fuel in there. There's no explosion itself. But you can learn a lot from it. But you can observe the process yes. that that takes. And I, I see you that. You can understand it. I see that with the sanctuary as well because, you know, as we as we read last week, uh, no, the, the blood of goats and bulls do not, like, save you from sin. Even yeah. even says here, the, the like... The blood of goats and bulls doesn't literally save you from sin. Just like, I mean, that model engine that you had yeah. couldn't go anywhere. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't even drive to Warner's Bay or Sydney <laughs> or Melbourne or Brisbane. You, you couldn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you could learn how a, an engine which can yes. and function properly will get you to Brisbane yes. or down to Melbourne or whatever. Mm, yeah, so this is, this is really, really fantastic. And so we're going to be uh, kind of observing the the sanctuary and then its new context. So let's let's just go to now to Leviticus chapter 26, uh, 11 and 12. And we're going to jump around in these, you know, first the the the, the, the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible. We're going to jump around a lot here, specifically like Leviticus and Exodus, um, because here we really see the, the ins and outs of the sanctuary. And You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
All right, let's get back into our Bible study. We were coming up to reading. We're going to read a couple of verses that kind of uh, give a kind of base baseline definition or, or motive uh, for why God would want to create a sanctuary. Mm. Um, so let's read them in quick succession. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, and then you're going to read for us uh, Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. The Bible says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Mm. And Leviticus 26, uh, verses 11, 12, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I'll walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. That is amazing. Yes. And that is truly incredible. Well, this is ultimately like that that phrase there, like, I will be your God and you will be my people, people. is the ultimate, I think, underlying uh, result, you know, the the... It's everything that God wants from the covenant. Yes. It's everything that God wanted from the, the everlasting covenant. Before sin even existed, yes. God wanted a reality. The, the covenant was that he will be our God and we will be his people. And he will walk among us. And he will be, he will walk mm. among us. That we will be together. Mm. And we see in the book of Revelation, you know, uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, as we start mm. to get a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's like, and finally, like, God is their God. And, you know, we are his people. Like, finally, you know, the world has come to an end. Sin has come to an end. Um, mm. But we see that here in Leviticus. And we see that in connection to the sanctuary. So my thought there is that somehow the sanctuary lets God be close to us. You know, as we read in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, uh, let them build me a sanctuary so that I may be, you know, amongst them. I may be amongst them. I, and I, But I love what Leviticus says too, how it yes. says, you know, God communicates, I want to be a, have a sanctuary so I may be among them. But then I love the point that Leviticus makes where it says, and I will not abhor them. Mm. And I guess that, that, you know, that raises questions, you know, why would, why would God's soul abhor us? You know, mm. that, and that's kind of like, oh, what does that really mean? Well, the, the reality is that God is a holy God. Yes. And, and he is pure. He, he is, mm. there, there is no darkness, there, there's, no, there's no evil in God. Mm. Um, and yet, unfortunately, we, we have chosen to go our own way. We, we uh, doubted God's goodness. We we headed down this track, and what we all struggle with is is this, mm. you know, sinfulness, this darkness um, in our in our lives, this selfishness, yes, and and God's holiness um, abhors that that darkness. He abhors mm. that evil, um, and, and so. But what what this is telling us is that God, in spite of that abhorrence for mm. evil, God is still willing to come and live amongst us to to cleanse us. Of that evil, so that he can restore us to himself. Mm. That's a beautiful, beautiful oh, reality. It's, it's amazing, and but the question still stands: like, how can something ho- so holy uh, dwell with something so evil, mm. so sinful? And this is the method that God uses: mm. is the sanctuary. He says, "Let them build me a sanctuary that I might be among them." Like mm. this is the way in which He achieves that. And well, then you start to ask questions like, "Well, how?" 
you know, how mm. how is God able to dwell among his people uh, once a sanctuary is built? Now, we know that, like, when we look at the layout of the sanctuary itself, it's, it's very rich in symbolism. And, and in the sanctuary, you know, they brought animals and sacrificed them. But we know that literally in the sanctuary, in the most holy of holy places, the Bible says the Shekinah glory is. And mm. that literally, the word Shekinah glory uh, basically is the presence of God. Yes. And it, yes. It, in, in glowing form. Like, this is a, a literal supernatural sign that they could just go, well, they couldn't just go in and see because if they went in and saw, they would immediately die. And this, again, people raise questions. This was God immediately killing people if they want to go see him. Well, no, liter- it's just because, like, sin cannot exist with holiness. And I guess the, the other thing to keep in mind is what we talked about before is that the sanctuary, the, the, the wilderness tab- tabernacle was a model. Mm. And of course, you know, when it says I will make my dwelling or I will tabernacle among them, um, the, the reality is, you know, where in the, the New Testament, yes. John, Jesus says, you know, I were, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among them. Mm. And that is, that is the reality of how God actually dwells with us and yes. walks with us and redeems us. Um, and, and so we always need to keep our minds. We need to look to Jesus. The yes. model was mm-hmm. pointing us back to Jesus. Yes. Well, that's like, that's ultimately, you know, Jesus makes it clear, well, not to the to the disciples at the time and not to the religious leaders at the time, but to us today when he says, you know, three days you'll tear this temple down, but it will be rebuilt again. Yeah, exactly. And and he's referring the, specifically the like to the resurrection, um, but using the language of the temple Tabern- and the people at the time had no idea. They were just confused. They're like, it took us you 40, know, years. 40, 40 years to yes. build this temple. How are you going to build it Break it down mm. and build it up in three days. Is that Jesus literally became our sanctuary? Yes. Jesus became our sacrifice. Jesus became, and we're going to be looking at this all week. This idea of Jesus becoming yes. um, what this sanctuary was, and as we read in Hebrews, in every single way, absolutely, he becomes the the priest. He, well, I believe he becomes the sanctuary itself. Uh, mm. He becomes the priest. He becomes the symbols of the sanctuary, and he becomes the sacrifice of the sanctuary. He becomes the mediation that takes place in the sanctuary. He becomes everything that the sanctuary is. And when we get this idea that the purpose of the sanctuary is so that God can dwell with us, we see the purpose of Jesus' mission. Yeah, it's like a teaching tool or teaching Mm. aid, Mm -hmm. you know, model. So, so, you know, um, if you're using like chemistry, you'll see Mm -hmm. this model of what an atom is like. That's exactly what the sanctuary is like. Oh, so epic there. We are quickly running out of time here. Just a couple seconds left, but we're going to be talking about this topic all week. Uh, We're going to be back with Question of the Day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, it's time for... Question of the Day. What's our question today, Steve? Oh, I, I was jumping in. I, it's, it's such an amazing question. I, I was okay. already heading in. So, so Lawson, here is a question of the day. Of the day. Since God made everything mm-hmm. and sin exists, did God make sin? Okay, that's a really, really great question. And it's one that, you know, when someone asserts this argument to be true, uh, like to say, yes, God did make sin, it's what's called a proof by contradiction argument, where you have two premises and then and then a conclusion. And if the basically the conclusion uh, is 
so right and set in stone that if you basically it can't like the opposite of the conclusion contradicts the premises so here we've got the first premise god created everything the second premise is sin exists and the conclusion is god created sin now if we say that God didn't create sin, then that seems to be at odd with the premises. Firstly, because we said that first God created everything and sin exists. And so, so they're at odds with one another. So and then how do we answer this question? Because there are people who aren't Christian and who use this argument to uh, kind of make a point against Christianity and they live and die on it. They're like, God created sin because then there's connotations further than that, that, oh, therefore God is the monster. He created us to fail. He, it's he, ultimately the point of this argument is to shift responsibility for wrongdoing from the self to God and to paint God out to be a monster. Um, but the problem with this argument shared, even though it seems to be true, uh, is that this argument doesn't create, it doesn't, um, include the entire context in which the premises are given because when we say god created everything the other thing that god created in creating everything probably one of the key points is that he gave his creation free will and once you add this point to the premises then you start to get more and more and more premises that get added on to this point for example like um you know god's creation have the ability to choose to not uh live um according to the intent of creation if therefore things can happen uh, that God didn't intend. So basically where that leaves us is, I'll, I'll put it into an illustration. If you go to a, uh, a an Olympic diving pool, right? Um, this is a pool in which there are pretty much no rules. You're allowed to flip. You're allowed to run. You're allowed to jump. You're allowed to do pretty much whatever you want, except for one rule. There's one rule, and that is you're even allowed to jump at the same time with people. But there's one rule that you can't break, and that is to jump while other people are in the pool because of the risk that you'll hit someone on the, at the bottom. And because you're jumping from such a high height, there is very much potential of death there. Now, if someone goes and breaks that rule, is the owner of the pool responsible for that? Um, furthermore... Did the owner of the rule, you know, conceptualize the idea of breaking that rule and then coax the person who broke the rule into doing it? And the ultimate answer is no. No, he didn't. And that's really how I view God in this situation. God defines what love is. God defines what perfection is by creating it. And because of that, sin is inherently conceptualized or created. It doesn't exist, but it's conceptualized because the opposite of having that relationship with God, living in his garden perfectly, you know, living up to the intent of his creation is sin. And so someone ultimately does it, and that creates the context that we're in now, and God isn't responsible because we chose to do it. God didn't force us to do it. In fact, God told us not to do it, yet we did it. Anyway, I hope that was, uh, you know, able to answer that question, a bit of logic there. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.